though it can be very tough in the culture. And so that's what we're hoping to draw from as well. So this morning I want to start out with just kind of something that I've learned along my lifetime. I know as we grow up, our parents are constantly trying to teach us stuff. And, and also teachers and coaches and other adults, I get that. But specifically, just kind of think about parents for a minute. And they're trying to teach us stuff because they know that we are trying to prepare our kids for life. Things they're going to have to experience, things they're going to go through as they go through life. And it's going to happen down the road, but a lot of times we're trying to prepare them. And, and I remember as a kid, I resisted that a lot. We resist much of this because we can't see, can we, in the moment that what our parents are trying to teach us is really going to be valuable down the road, but we just can't see it now. It seems to be annoying. It seems to be something, what's the big deal? So when they instruct us, we gripe, we complain, and we just can't understand, why do I need to know that right now? Why do I need to do that right now? What's, so, what's the big deal? Why does that matter right now? Any parents feel, me, feel my pain on that? You know? Yeah, you just don't understand it. So, but later, many of those lessons and things that they made us do and made us you know, go learn and, and, and become an important part of our lives, we all of a sudden go, wow, their light comes in and goes, wow, that is valuable. Now I understand why she said, he said, do this over and over again because now it's valuable. Now I realize that all those things they were telling me for a reason, they really want me to be able to function as a responsible adult down the road. That's why they said it. But it doesn't always happen in the timing. So I'm going to talk about laundry for a minute, okay? And, and it's just an illustration, but uh, I'm very thankful that my mama taught me how to do laundry, okay? Because you're going to do laundry for the rest of your life, aren't you? Every you're going to have to do it. Now, your mama may be doing it for you now, and shame on your mama if she's still doing your laundry. If you're old enough to do your own, you should be doing your own laundry. And my mom and dad made me start doing my laundry somewhere when I was probably a, a middle school or something. I had to learn it, and I understand that. Now, at first, I was irritated because it was like, what's the big deal? This isn't rocket science. You know, you open up the thing, you throw your clothes in, you throw some soap in, you push the button, bam. How hard can it be, right? But there's things you got to know. You can't put too much soap in, can you? you got to sort your clothes into colors. And I know that's not as important today, but back then it was. You know, you wash a red sweatshirt or a navy blue sweatshirt with all your white things, you're in trouble. you got some explaining to do in the locker room when you're wearing pink underwear, blue underwear, whatever, to, to the boys, okay? All right, so you understand that, but you know that happens. Uh, there's also things about take the stuff out of the dryer promptly. If you don't take it out of there, it stinks. You ever had clothes you left in there too long and they stink, they get that sour smell? So I was, I was at a restaurant one day and I was sitting with some people and I smelled that, that nasty smell where it smelled. And I was going, God, is that me? And I just kept, and so finally the person across from me goes, it's not you, it's the guy behind you. I can smell it too. So there was this guy and obviously he left his clothes in the dryer too long or something. But y'all know that happens, you know. So then we have to rewash them. And you also have to promptly, my mama taught me, if you promptly remove your clothes out of the dryer, you know, within a reasonable time of that buzzer going off and hang them up and fold them up, you, you save yourself a lot of ironing and stuff. But what do we do? Well, they don't. They don't. I walk in the house and go, who left their clothes in the dryer? You know, my kids are they're rolling their eyes right now, I know. And, and then they, so then they turn the dryer on again for another 40 minutes to heat them up so they don't have to, to do it again. Like, ah, right, now you're waiting. You want to pay the electric bill? You know, that kind of stuff. Y'all go through this, okay? But I thought about that. So, but later in life, I realized all these things. Clean the lint screen out. There's another one, right? If you take that junk out of lint, it really does make the dryer do better. I promise you it will. But as a kid, you just, you just don't get that. 
But it helped me. And so I remember as I went through, I go, wow, this really is helpful. Now, when I was in graduate school in, in Tennessee, I was just sharing with somebody where I was, there were these coin washers and dryers in the laundry room. Now, a lot of you teenagers might not know what that is, but there's washers and dryers in places where you can put coins in and they'll wash, and they're commercial. So this place, um, I lived in this apartment, and across the street uh, was another college, and I lived in this apartment, and I could go into that dorm across the street and do my laundry there and put quarters in. But there was also um, this workout facility there, and it was, it was pretty bad. It was in the basement of this dorm, and you know, it was just kind of run down or whatever. The, the glass was out of the window, so in the winter it was freezing cold, and in the hot summer it was really, really hot. But anyway, we would go down there, some friends of I, and we would, we would work out, and we would watch people come through the workout room to do their laundry, and it was kind of funny because occasionally people would do stuff, and you go, their mama didn't raise them, right? They didn't teach them how to do laundry, because you can tell. So this one day, this guy comes in there, and he's got like three huge baskets of laundry, and I watch him. Now, this is, keep in mind, this is a commercial washer, but he puts three huge baskets of clothes in, in one load, and then just, you know, you can just see him just cramming them in there, almost like stepping on it, and then he puts the, you know, puts his, I guess he's trying to, maybe only down to his last four quarters or something, you know, he's got to wash, and so he puts this open there, and he just walks up, and about 15 minutes, that commercial washer is screaming for mercy, it's like, making this horrible like a, you know a, a witch getting boiled in oil or something and it just it just starts smoking and it just stops you know and we just kind of laugh and about an hour later this guy comes back and it's like hey you know what happened you know and I was like well you know it's not a good idea to take your entire wardrobe and try to wash it all in one load that just doesn't work you know and I wanted to say your mama raised you wrong but I did and I just thought it but as I thought about that, I thought about the process that my mom had gone through with me to explain those things. That at the time, and she said them over and over again, and I probably got yelled at a lot. And, you know, why don't you do it right? Don't you, you know, do you want to be an irresponsible adult? And I was like, yes, I want to be irresponsible, mom. I want to be a terrible husband and father. I want to, you know. But you, you, you think of all this, and all of a sudden it goes, but she was right. She was trying to teach me something. Turned out, all of that lessons were very valuable. They are true. Turned out I would be doing laundry by myself a lot of times in life, and I needed to know that knowledge, and it turned out to help my life go a lot more smoothly. So now I'm trying to teach these fabulous lessons about laundry to my kids, but it doesn't always work. They roll their eyes. They get disgruntled. Why are you so mean? You know, just push the dryer again and keep it rolling and stuff like that. But one day, I keep telling them, say, don't be that roommate. You know, that's what I keep telling them. Don't be that roommate. So, better learn it now. You will thank me later, I promise, girls, I promise. Uh, so, as we continue to go through this letter from Paul um, to this uh, early church in Colossae with these Colossians, Paul is, is giving them instructions about life. You know, it's more important than just doing your laundry, but it's everyday things that matter, that matter now and that will matter in the days to come and will matter in the future. He's saying it all matters. And remember, as I've been telling you, he's in prison. Paul's been arrested because he is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ as the one and only true God. And that's causing conflict everywhere he goes. He goes, wait a minute, we thought Caesar was Lord. And you're saying Jesus is Lord. We're hearing about all these multiple gods and you're saying there's only one God. And it's causing tension so much so that Paul has landed in prison. But in prison, he's saying, I'm going to still continue to get that message out, and I'm going to write letters to these churches. And we know that the Colossian people have never really even met him face to face, but he says, I still want to encourage you, even while 
I'm in prison. So like a parent who's been there, Paul's repeating himself. He's warning them about the dangers and consequences that can happen when they try to live outside of what God has clearly shown them how to live. But he's also encouraging them and saying, hey, there's a, there, life can be such a more joyful experience if you will embrace God's truth and recognize Him as not only the Creator, but your Sustainer and your Lord. And that's what he's trying to teach them. So in the last few weeks, we've looked at this letter, and I know some of y'all may not have been here, but I'm going to kind of give a quick kind of update on, on where we are. In the first chapter, we, we talked about knowing the objective. And Paul says, in this life... He said this, he says, "...having God fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way." And he's saying, that's my objective and I'm passing that on to you. We want to live a life worthy of the Lord that has died and risen again for us. We want to do that. And then he says, you need to know who Jesus is. And you remember we went through all of that, that Jesus, we know His true identity as He is the one and only God, and Him and God are one, and that He was the Creator. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning, and He became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. John tells us that. So we learn who He is. And we also find out, when we find out who Jesus is, we find out that our identity is in Him as well. Jesus, as Creator and Redeemer, gives us our identity. And He tells us in the first chapter that we are holy in His sight because we've been redeemed by Jesus. We are without blemish. We are free from accusation. And we are created to do good works which He's prepared in advance for us to do. And that's our purpose. And that's our identity in Christ. And then in last week we were reminded through Paul that the, the suffering and struggles that come in our life, those are real. And those will happen. And they're inevitable. Everybody's going to happen. But in those struggles, God really grows us. He challenges us through those struggles. And through those, He also allows us to identify more clearly with Him in His own suffering for us to redeem us. So we're going to look at another section this morning, and I think in the bulletin it says we're going to look at verses 6 through um, maybe 15 or 16, but we're not going to get that far probably today because this is important stuff. So let's, let's take a look at this. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 2. It should be on the screen, or you can look at it on your device or your Bible if you brought it. But we're going to look at chapter 2 starting in verse 6. Listen to what he says. So he says this. He says, uh, So then... Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Notice how many times he says in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Okay, and I'm going to stop right there in verse 10. That's probably all we're going to go through today. But let's, let's kind of unpack that a little bit. He says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, and he's talking to a group of people that have. They said, we've heard the gospel message and we have received that. We heard that, you know what, I need salvation. I need saving. I know I'm not a perfect person. I know there has to be a God that created this world and put me here and has given me an identity and purpose and I want to know Him so I'm going to receive Him as my Lord and Savior. So he says, continue. As you've received that, he says, continue to live um, in Him. And that means your whole life. 
Not just on Sundays, not just when you're around people that know you're a Christian or think you're a Christian, but every day of your life, every aspect of your life, you need to be living that for Him. It's not a one-time thing. We don't walk forward and make a confession to receive Christ, be baptized into Him, and then walk away and just nothing changes in our life. We're going to read a, a passage um, for our communion passage today. It's from 2 Corinthians, and Paul wrote to this church, a real place, Corinth. And he says, when you, become a, 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 when you become a follower of Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. You've been transformed. And that's what he's saying again. He's continuing that same thing. He goes, as you receive Christ Jesus, continue to live in Him in every aspect of your life. And some of those aspects of our life, as you all know, are harder than others, aren't they? Sometimes it's easy to sit in church and sing the songs, but then I get into conflict with my family, conflict with relationships, conflict maybe in my job with people. And that's where my Christianity really kind of struggles a little bit. And that's why we need to be, as he says next, rooted and built up. Putting down roots, making a commitment to stay and continue to grow consistently in Christ. Now, I don't know how many of y'all like to, to grow things and like to get out in the garden, but I, I'm amazed at, at the way things grow. And I was planting some stuff yesterday and I was trimming up some things. This time of year, a lot of times we uh, trim up bushes and things um, like crepe myrtles. Some of the people do it this time of year. You know, you cut them down because in the spring you cut them now, they go through a couple of freezes, and when they start growing in the springtime, they just it, it's beautiful when you see that. So I'm out there cutting things, and my youngest daughter, Leah, she's going, Daddy, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm cutting things back, and she's just kind of looking at me. It looks like you're just hacking things up. You know, and I'm trying to explain to her that if you cut these things back and make a little preparations now, when, and I said, when the warmer weather comes and things start growing, they'll be really ready to grow because you get all this dead stuff off of it and get it out of the way so the new stuff can come in fully. And I don't know that she really understood that, but I tried and I'm going to keep trying every time she sees me cutting that. But it's the same kind of thing. We're rooted. We put down roots. We make a commitment to stay rooted in Christ and continue to grow consistently. I would guess the reason that you're here today, just like me, is not just to do church, but I hope to be continue to be encouraged in what I believe. I want to be encouraged. I want to be rooted. I need to be reminded by reading Paul's letter that was written you know, 20 centuries ago that this stuff still matters in, in my life today and in your life today. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have um, student ministries and children's ministries. That's why we have Wednesday night. That's why we do all these things that we do, small groups and, and fish groups and all these things that we do, because we want people to constantly, on their time, in their daily lives, to be rooted and built up in Christ. And that's important. So he says, strengthen in the face as you were taught. And that's why you decided to follow Jesus. You were taught that and it made sense. It connected with you. And he says, stay connected to him. And then he says, overflowing with thankfulness. Your life should show the gratitude that you have that Christ has saved you and changed you and made you into a new person. And how does that look? Do you know somebody that overflows with thankfulness? Somebody that's a very grateful person? And some of y'all are nodding your hands. You know why? Because you can think of that person right now. You go, what is it about that person? They're so grateful. They're so thankful. And we love being around people. It should overflow. Overflow means beyond the norm. It makes people take notice and go, hey, hey, you know, when you see something overflowing, like if you're talking, if you're at a restaurant and the lady's filling up or the guy that's your server is filling up your tea glass and it's overflowing all over the table, do you think you're going to notice that? Well, absolutely you are. And he said, our thankfulness should be like this. We're constantly thanking people and being grateful for what we have, not always, you know, downer. And we like to be around. So he says, your faith should be overflowing with thankfulness. And then he gets into verse 8, and this is really the crux of what I want to talk about today that I think is very important. 
He says, don't get taken captive. Don't be taken captive um, uh, through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Okay? He says, don't get taken captive. Don't be made a slave. Don't get follow up into this hollow or deceptive. Now, deceptive thinking, we understand when someone's trying to deceive us, and maybe you don't because if you knew somebody was deceiving you, you wouldn't be deceived. But people who are trying to be deceptive, they're trying to take a half-truth or maybe even a, a complete lie, and they're trying to make it seem fully true to deceive you into doing something or to gaining control over you. That's how deception works, and we understand that. And he says you have to be careful for these hollow or deceptive philosophies. Now, philosophy just means thought about life, what we think about life, what we think about the culture, what we think about what's going on, about life and death and all those different things about life. That's what philosophy is. When you say, uh, somebody says, I, I study philosophy, they study about what people all over maybe history and maybe currently study about life. And that's different than theology. Theology is the study or thought about God. Theos stands for God in the Greek. Ology is the thought, the thought of God. And so all of these kind of stuff is going on in this culture. And he says, be careful. A lot of what you're hearing, and he's saying, I know in your church, because I've talked to Epaphras, who's the guy who's come to prison to visit me, he tells me what's going on in your church. And you've got people in your church that are teaching deceptive philosophies. And people in your community that are teaching deceptive philosophies. And you remember, this, this place is where a lot of different people all over the world are coming through. A lot of heavy Greek and Roman culture there. But there's also people from the east who are far east who are coming in. And they're saying, this is what we believe. This is our religion. This is our faith. And some people are saying, hey, you know what? I, I'm kind of confused by all this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to get a big plate like I'm going to Golden Corral. You know what Golden Corral is? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And you just go from, oh, yeah. And you just keep piling it on. And, you just, and that's what people are doing. Say, I'm just going to get a big religion faith plate. And I'm going to put a little bit of everything on there and try to practice all of it. And then I'll be covered. That's crazy. Number one, it doesn't work. And Jesus and God did not say that's what we're supposed to do. They said, God said, I am the one and only God, and I came in the flesh in Jesus Christ. I am the one God. That's what we sang about today. Not many, but this is what's going on in this culture. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about this. Paul is writing this letter because of what's going on in his culture, which calls syncretism, and that's combining multiple faith and belief systems into Christianity. That was happening 20 centuries ago, y'all, and believe me, it is happening today, isn't it? We have so many people. You get on the Internet, you read all this stuff, and they're trying to say, hey, well, I have a friend who's this, and they believe this, and they have this faith, and they're a good person, so therefore, why can't I believe and, and practice what they is? Or you tell me they're going to hell, and we always try to throw that in there like we decide that anyway. We need to know the truth. We're not in the business of sending anybody anywhere. None of us have the authority to send anybody to heaven or hell, but we do need to know the truth about that. And Jesus made it very clear. And Paul is making it very clear to these people. Why? Because he loves them and he wants them to know the truth and not be deceived. So many scholars have studied this first century church and they said there was something going on, not only syncretism, but something called Gnosticism. And it's about this secret knowledge that if you're really super spiritual and you're really super intelligent, you will know this secret knowledge and that's what you need to know. Yeah, Jesus is good and that Christianity stuff, I understand that, but you need to know this secret knowledge. And this is basically what it means. Now, bear with me. This is, might be a little boring to some of y'all and your eyes might start rolling in your head and you're like, what is he talking about? But just stay with me because this is important. So David Gusick, who's a commentator, he said this, 
Gnosticism taught that God, as a perfect spirit, could not come in direct contact with the material world. And Paul says, that's not true. Jesus said, he became flesh and dwelt among us. He did come. So Paul is saying, that's not true in the first part of Colossians. Gnosticism that was going on in that time taught that since God could not have direct contact with the material world, that God himself did not create the world, but he worked through lesser spirits or angels. And Paul again says, that's not true. Jesus said, I was there from the beginning. I was the creator. I was there. I understand. So he refutes that. Gnosticism and some other forms of Jewish mysticism in that first century taught that God did not deal directly with man in the material world, but that he dealt with the world through a series of mediators. Now, we know God sent prophets in the Old Testament, but Jesus was God in the flesh. He came to this world. He had flesh and bone. He lived. He breathed. He was born of a woman. And Paul took care to show that Jesus did the work of reconciliation through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, and that's important. And Gnosticism, again, and some forms of Jewish mysticism, greatly esteemed these supposed mediators and considered them angelic beings of sort. And Paul, again, is going, y'all, don't fall for that. All this weird stuff about gods, and you have to have this secret knowledge, they're just trying to be exclusive and confuse you. Don't fall for that. Jesus is all you need. And it needs to be a clear gospel message, and that's what it is. And the gospel message says, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And guess what? That Savior came in the flesh and died for you and rose for you. And now you have forgiveness and you have restoration with God in and through that life and resurrection. And guess what Jesus also said? That's for everybody. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was for all people in all history. How much more fair and inclusive can you be with the gospel message? Now, as I read that Gnosticism thing, you say, do what? What is, I, don't even, I don't even catch what you were saying all there, but it was some odd stuff. And you say, nobody believes in that anymore, Craig. Why are you even telling us about this? But I want to pause for a minute and try to get us to see why this is so important for us. We may not call it Gnosticism today. We may not call it syncretism today, but that's exactly what it is. And it's happening. Gnosticism may, may not be around anymore. Be for sure, there are many hollow and deceptive philosophies that are going all throughout our world. And they're trying to turn people to believe things that are in direct conflict with the identity of Christ, which means it's in direct conflict with what your true identity is as well. And we need to know that. Now, they sound good on the surface. We hear words like, but it's inclusive. It's um, diverse. It's forward-thinking. All these kind of words, we hear that. But listen, I want you to listen to a quote that someone said recently, that I bet every one of you know who this person is. They are very popular. They are, they are known throughout the whole world because of what they do. Listen to what they said. I am a Christian who believes that there are certainly many other paths to God other than Christianity. I am a Christian who believes there are certainly many other paths to God other than Christianity. That is not a true statement, but it sounds inclusive, doesn't it? It sounds forward-thinking. It sounds maybe even loving, but it's not true. I am the same person. I am a free-thinking Christian who believes in my way, but I don't think it's the only way with six billion people on the planet. And again, that sounds so inclusive, so forward-thinking. But it's not true according to what Jesus says. Notice in both of these quotes, the person is expressing their personal belief about the way they see life and culture, their personal philosophy, while at the same time claiming 
to be a follower of Jesus. And those two are in conflict by those, those simple statements this person said. Those statements, again, they sound good on the surface. They sound diverse and inclusive and forward-thinking. Do you want to know who said it? Of course you do. It was Oprah Winfrey. And she believes this. And she says this. I've watched her show. I like Oprah. How can you not like Oprah? She's such a positive person. But she believes what she's saying. And she constantly is recommending books and for people to go to websites that teach this same false teaching and deceives people into believing that Christianity is not any different than all these other things. It's just one other way to God. And I, I want us to really be clear on why this is so dangerous. And she encourages others to believe like this. She's likable, isn't she? She is definitely a philanthropist, a respecter of diversity. She's a respecter of people. She's generous. She's loving. She has made and she continues to make an, an amazing impact on the world. But here's the problem I have with her. She's teaching false stuff that's leading people astray. Those statements are in direct conflict with who Jesus said he was. It's not my opinion against Oprah's. That's what Jesus says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you say you follow him and you say, but there's many ways, those are not two truths. That's different, and we have to understand that. And it's clear on what Jesus said, not only about life and culture, but certainly about how we obtain salvation. And it's not on our own. It's only through Jesus. And this is why we have to take heart what Paul is saying here in our culture today. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And now it's even worse because not only do we hear Oprah, but we can go on our phones at any time. Your kids can go on their phones at any time, and they're hearing this kind of junk. And we need to understand that. You saying Oprah's not a Christian? You saying Oprah's going to hell? Because I like Oprah. I'm not saying any of that. I don't have any business making either one of those calls, and either do any of us as humans, do we? But this is what I am saying. She is absolutely leading people away from the salvation that's found only in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's wrong. As much as I like her, what she's doing is leading people away from the true salvation they can find in Jesus Christ. Now, I wouldn't want to be a part of that based, again, not on what I think, but what Jesus says. Matthew 18, 6. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. Write it down. Put it on your phone. Matthew 18, 6. Look what it says. What Jesus said about people who lead others astray. But let's keep going. Verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Notice what Paul's doing here. He is directly combating Gnosticism and syncretism. He's saying, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity... The deity is God. It is in Him. It was in Him in bodily form as Jesus. And in Christ, the fullness is in Him. And because it was in Him, he has, you, have been, you, have, you have it in you. It's been brought to fullness in you because of Christ. And that He is the head over every power and authority. Paul's making a direct statement to combat Gnosticism and syncretism. But he also knows that this group of people has been introduced to these false teachings. He's saying, no, Jesus did have all the deity of God in Him. And again, he's repeating that, hey... You can have that same fullness, but it's not of yourselves. It's a gift called grace in 
Jesus. That's why he says, in Jesus so much. He's not saying, well, I've reached that spiritual eye. He goes, no, the only reason I have connection with God is because I am in Christ and allow Christ to live in and through me. And so he repeats what he said in chapter 1, that Jesus is the head over every authority and power. Because in this culture, some are saying, but I thought Caesar is Lord. He's the world power. He goes, no, he's not Lord. There's only one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. Do you see why this is so critical? I know some of you are going, yes, Craig, all right. You know, you're like the laundry thing. I get it. Separate colors. Clean the lint screen out. I get it. But I, don't, I think we need to really get this, y'all, and it, just, it, it bothers me. Because every time and I heard about a kid in our former youth group um, that had a, a, a service yesterday, and it was suicide. And y'all, it just, it just tears me out of the frame because people are believing lies. They're believing lies. And, and, I, and I heard about what maybe he was into and, and some of this stuff, and it just breaks my heart because he's been told so many lies. And he grew up with a strong foundation, but someone led him astray to the point that he took his own life. That's not of God. That is not of God at all. But when we start to believe there are other religions or faiths or beliefs that can restore us to God outside of Christ, do we realize what that says about the atoning work of Christ? Do we really understand what that says? Oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. That was nice, Jesus. But there's other ways I can be restored to God. I didn't really need your death. What? Oprah said there has to be because there are six million people in the world. Jesus died for six million people, Oprah. He died for all of humanity. They are all saved in and through Him, not by some other way. If your son or daughter or mother or father or brother was killed in the line of duty fighting for their country, or as a first responder, or for goodness sakes, if they were a teacher and they tried to prevent some of their kids from getting killed by an active shooter and they died, and someone after their death said something like this, they lost their life, what they lost their life for was pointless and not necessary. How would you feel? Yeah, you're right. There were probably other ways. No, you would be so devastated that your, your loved one lost their life trying to protect someone else and someone made that as not a big deal. That's exactly what we do when we try to say there's other ways to restore us to God other than what Jesus did. When anyone, regardless of who they are, where they're from, in history or whatever, what culture, when they say what the creator of the universe who was without sin, who sacrificially went through six long hours on the cross for all of humanity one Friday, say that there's other ways, what does that say about those six long hours? Do you see why I get so fired up about this? We need to know the truth. It was necessary. When someone says it's not, there's other ways, what does that say about their view of salvation? What does that say um, about what they understand about how serious that sacrifice Jesus made was for them? How arrogant to suggest that anything could, can, can, can come close to comparing to the power and the grace and the love and the inclusiveness that God himself dying on the cross for us could restore us to God. Nothing can compare to that. And that's why Paul's words are so important for us today as it was for those first century Jesus followers. We need to know that and embrace that. And it doesn't mean we have to hate people and try to get into arguments and win the arguments, but we've got to know the truth and be able to express that truth and embrace that truth, that Jesus is our creator and our redeemer. And we need to continue to live in Him. We need to continue to be rooted and built up in Him. That's why you teenagers, you young people, this couple sitting on this front row loves you and they are dedicating themselves 
And there's others that volunteer because they know how important it is. Isn't it important? I know it's important to Isaiah and Satora that y'all know the truth and y'all keep rooted in that. And that's what they're trying to do is root you in that along with your parents and all these other things that, 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 that can help you do that. But be strengthened in the faith of the Lord and overflowing with thankfulness. And let me tell you this. A person that is overflowing with thankfulness knows the truth. That's why they're thankful. They know the truth. They know they've been saved. And it's by no other name or way under heaven or on earth by which we must be saved but through Jesus. Now, do you believe that today? If you do, be strengthened in it. Continue to live in it. And if you're here today and you're going, man, that guy is so judgmental. That's why I don't go to church because of that kind of stuff. Man, we're just telling the truth. This is what Jesus said about himself. I'm not making this up. I'm not against Oprah. The greatest thing to me would be that Oprah would see that Jesus is the only way. She has a platform like nobody else that can tell that. So even if you don't believe what I'm saying today, I pray that you heard something that will help you consider all of that as you go along your journey today. And consider that it's a matter of life and death. One day you will face not just doing your own laundry, but you'll face your own death, and where the next destination is. And if that's not in Christ, that's a scary thing, isn't it? It's a scary thing.